But then there's the the last sort of piece of what everyone wants to talk about is these dreams of the deceased because these are the dreams that I feel and I've seen have the most impact on people's lives. They they feel different from other dreams, but also they can have say, a po very positive impact and really change people and help them out in the most dire times. But they can also cause a lot of additional suffering and issues for the bereaved too. So that's why I really focus a lot of my research on that area because that's where the challenges lie with the the counselors and those people who help the bereaved that they have no answers really at this point. And so that's why I really wanted to do the research to really help you know provide explanations and to normalize those types of responses and, and experiences. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Grey in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. I'm so excited to have on the podcast today, Dr. Joshua Black. He is a grief researcher, speaker, author, consultant, and online course instructor. And he's also the host of Grief Dreams podcast. He has focused all his MA and PhD research in psychology on investigating the dreams and continues um, to do so. And he interviews a lot of people on the subject he has his website, griefdreams.ca, and you can find him on lots of different uh, social media platforms to get to learn more about him. And I'll be uh, tagging him at the bottom in the show notes. Excited to have you here, Dr. Black. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on someone else's podcast and be the, uh, the one getting the questions asked to them. <laughs> I've got the mic. I've got the control. Let's see what I what I get to ask you now. So I am curious to then learn a little bit more about you. So we before we started recording, you know, you live in Ontario. So tell us about your life in Canada, a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into your own grief journey, if that's okay, of why it is you also are so intrigued by this topic of grief dreams my life's my life's good I, I can't complain I haven't really been outside of Ontario much you know that's one of the things I've been in school for most of my days so I'm super excited now that I'm done to be able to travel and then of course the moment I'm able to travel is when everything's in lockdown so I am looking to you know one day really travel the world and see the different cultures because I feel that there's so much we can learn from that and especially on grief and dreams and how they process and see these this topic because as I said if it's not studied a lot in the research it's hard for me to really understand how different cultures really uh, perceive these and and the distress that can come from their interpretations. So at the end of the day, like I never, I don't know how much you want to talk about my, my life down here, but yeah. at the end of the day, like I said, like I, I grew up in St. Catharines, Ontario, right by uh, Niagara Falls. And, you know, my life was pretty chaotic. 
based on just my environment at home and also the school environment. And so my understanding just of dreams in general was a very negative situation where I had a lot of nightmares as a kid. And because of that, I grew up also in a Christian household where they didn't know the answers to dreams or understand dreams too much. And so they must have been told and then they told me that these dreams are from the devil. So my understanding was that the devil infiltrates the, the dreams. And so negative dreams are just something to be afraid of rather than gain any kind of knowledge about oneself. And now I've learned throughout time that that's not the case, that you actually, there's a lot of, a lot of jewels within nightmares that can actually help us process, you know, what we're going through and make us aware of what we're processing too, because the mind is really good. I find at tricking us into believing we're sometimes further than we are um, for, for whatever reason, but to actually gain that emotional intelligence to understand what you're trying to process and how you're feeling in waking life, it's a skill. And I've learned a lot how to do that through actually looking at my dreams. And that was before my dad died. I had, you know, like this very powerful dream that really told me a, a deep truth about myself that I didn't love myself. And for me, that really shook me to the core because the first time I had a dream that actually meant something and it wasn't until I was just finished high school. So that's a long time to then finally say, wait a second, I think dreams may mean something. I think everyone around me lied <laughs> or just, wow. you know, and so, so that, that dream that you had that was in high school, you said the dream that you right had after, about your... yeah, right after high school, I had a, a breakup and the individual cheated on me and it broke my heart and I couldn't either sleep for about three days. It was the most distressing point of my life, I would say, that moment. And I just didn't know what to do. Nothing was, none of my coping mechanisms were working at that point. And so as a, in a Christian home, what I did, I don't know if I would say I believed fully in their God, what they say, because of all the trauma going on around me. But there may have been something more. And so I just, you know, bent down my knees and said, like, I just need help um, whatever's out there, you know, can you give me understanding on why I feel this way? And it's interesting because I never asked for it to be taken away. I just wanted to know understanding because it was so scary. I couldn't understand the emotions that were going in. And then I had a dream where I was, you know, this reporter running like by this sort of stream of water and I was following it and I was going over hills, under valleys. It seemed like it was like six to eight hours, just like running, you know, by this stream. And it opened up to this huge ocean. And then I looked and there was a pier and there was someone standing at the pier. So I ran over to the individual and then I was at, and I asked, it was a, it was a guy and I asked them, you know, like, where is it? Where is it? As I was like looking for something and the individual looked at me with those like very knowledgeable eyes, you know, like those people who like know something, like they're just like super smart. They're just, but they're not going to tell you straight out. So anyways, he pointed to the left of the ocean and said, it could be over there. He pointed to the right of the ocean, it could be over there. And then he pointed straight ahead and said, it could be over there. And then he turned and he said, but do you want to know where it truly is? And I said, yes, yes, yes. And he pointed to his mind and I woke up and I woke up not only realizing the dream was important, had meaning, but also understood it. And if someone else had that dream, they may not have understood it. But for me at that point, that was so strange. I had no reason to even believe that this was something more going in. And so I knew what it meant. It meant that, that I was blaming, you know, her, I was blaming him for cheating. But if I really wanted to know the answer of why I was feeling the way I was, I had to look inside. And that's when I realized I didn't love myself. And all she did was bring up a truth that I had hidden 
throughout all these years, 18 years, right? And so that's my next question after that was, okay, then how can I learn to love myself? And so that's been my process all the way through, which I think allows me to look at these dreams in a different way too, and also grief. Wow. When you were saying that, like, you know, how we usually can interpret more like ourselves, like depending on what it is that's going on, like we can create our own understanding of a grief dream or any grief dream, right? Doesn't have to be a, a dream. I wake up sometimes and I'm like, I, the first thing I do literally, if I remember one specific thing, I Google dreaming with, like I dreamt with a baby elephant this week, right? So I'm like, I told my husband the whole thing and it, the baby elephant was my my pet da, 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 and all this. And I'm telling him the whole story. And I tell him so that I don't forget the moment I put my feet on the floor, right? <laughs> so... Because what is your what is your belief about that? The moment we step, like, what is that window of being able to remember? And what is the best way to capture it? For example, this dream that you had, because you still remember it so vividly. Yeah. Is it because you wrote it down uh, before you woke up? Or, like, did you just lay in bed and analyze it before you stepped out so that it just sinks in? Because I have others that I really... Uh, and I have had grief dreams that really have like sunk in, but it's because I've shared them too. So what is your method of remembering? So for, for that dream and certainly some other dreams I had, it just, I feel that because it was so meaningful in my life, it's set in one of those special moments. So I'm never going to forget it. But other dreams that maybe I needed to more interpret kind of thing or look at a little bit more, the best way to do that is as you wake up, so you keep your eyes closed, you rehearse the dream, so you make it go into short-term memory. So then when you wake up, you can write it down or share it on your phone, whatever the way you want to record it. But that way, it actually is there because there is a thing where people will forget their dreams as they move forward throughout the day. And that's one of the theories of that is because you're dreaming a different state of consciousness than you are in waking life. So it's stored in a different way. And that's why sometimes even you'll forget it. And then like something triggers you to remember that dream. So it's like, it's very hard to retrieve that memory uh, of that dream. So writing it down is the best way to be able to do that. And we also forget details over time. Just memory isn't, you know, at, like absolute. So mm -hmm. it's great to have, be able to have those, those booklets or those dreams. So you can actually look back and say, Oh, that's interesting. I forgot about that detail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that is, that is so true. Yeah. The ones that are really meaningful. It's, have you ever, uh, has it ever happened to you that you've interpreted a, a dream, a grief dream or, or other? Cause I'm assuming being that grief dreams are your niche, but I'm assuming that the whole umbrella for you is dreams in general. Is that correct? I really just really look at my own dreams and because it's so hard to quote unquote, interpret someone else's dream because they have their yeah. own symbols and signs. And as, as much as I know you exactly. Googled what a baby elephant is, a baby elephant <laughs> can mean anything to anyone based exactly. on their previous experiences with that thing, right? What mm -hmm. shows you watch, if you like, what was that show? Barbar was like an elephant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? So yeah, like- the cartoon. Uh -huh. Yeah, the cartoon, right? So it's really depending on, you know, your symbols and your language. And so it's very difficult to understand other people's. And so when people do- look at dreams the sad thing is they do go to like a dream dictionary to try to help them understand and that's a very poor way to do it because mm -hmm. their language is so different from yours and if you start looking at theirs you may now misinterpret your own dream or you may dream in their language which makes is very confusing for everyone involved mm -hmm. 
And so, and it's also, when you look at dreams, it's not just the image. So it's not just baby elephant, what does it mean? It's the baby elephant is driving a car, you're in the back seat, you're eating donuts. And so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of symbols going together to produce something, right? It's, a, it's trying to tell you like a sentence or a statement. And one word isn't enough for the most part. And so you have to look at all the other details and how they're interacting with one another to really understand what your mind is trying to get you to be aware of. And for the most part, there's not many words that are said in dream. It's more of images and, and actions. And so you're trying to really, you need to spend time to develop your own. And that's why I said, like, after that one dream, I really spent a lot of time trying to understand my own dream language to be able to now be able to look at the dreams, to gain the wisdom, to be able to produce action in waking life. But yeah, for the most part, though, I, I really focus on the grief dreams because I understand so much more about that topic and those symbols are a little more easier for me because i've seen so many and so many themes so you started seeing very constant stuff and and you know it relates to grief in some way for the most part if it's soon after loss anyways mm-hmm. and so it really narrows down the focus of the person's life on really what the mind's trying to help them out with and the grief dreams do not necessarily mean that the person that has died or the animal or the dear one or any particular issue that you might be having in life that's causing you grief, like a transition, major transition in life. Um, it doesn't mean that those issues appear in the dream, correct? Or the people appear in the dreams, not necessarily. Right. It's true, right? Because, you know, symbols are, are fun that way and sense that they'll take everything out that you think would be in there and put it in with a different uh, symbol of some sort. So like, for example, after a, a death, you may have a dream of running by a mountain and the mountain collapses on you. And so that more or less symbolizes your waking day struggles and the heaviness of the world, mm-hmm. right? So it's very symbolic of your emotions and how, what you're dealing with. And dreams, when we look at the research, dreams represent our waking life. And so it's very important to know that. And then there are those dreams where the deceased aren't in them, but you'll, you'll be visiting, let's say, maybe the hospital that they died at. Or you may have characters that you're interacting with that will talk about the deceased in some way. So it could be just characters, could be angels, uh, some God, talk to them and reassure them in some way. But then there's the, the last sort of piece of what everyone wants to talk about is these dreams of the deceased. Because these are the dreams that I feel and I've seen have the most impact in people's lives. They're, they feel different from other dreams. But also they can have say, a po- very positive impact and really change people and help them out in the most dire times. But they can also cause a lot of additional suffering and issues for the bereaved too. So that's why I really focus a lot of my research on that area because that's where the challenges lie with the, the counselors and those people who help the bereaved that they have no answers really at this point. And so that's why I really wanted to do the research to really help you know, provide explanations and to normalize those types of responses and, and experiences. Oh, this is wonderful. So good, because it is, it's such a, it's, it's a world we do not really fully understand, right? Because as you said, it's just like this other, <laughs> this other world within our world, <laughs> right? In the dreams. It's like, wait, how come I can run, but I'm really in the dream, I'm running, but I'm not really... I don't have legs. It's just, you know, like just all these different things. I'm flying. I'm doing this. I don't know how to fly. You know, it's just such an amazing, I've always been fascinated with dreams. Now let's go uh, back into the passing of your, of your father, since that was something, how old were you when your dad passed away? I was 24 when he died and it was 
on my 25th birthday, I was picking out the casket. So he oh. died just like a couple days before my birthday. And it was, once again, like that, that was the first time for me that I experienced that type of suffering. It was different from when I had that, my heart broken, that cheating. This was uh, a different type of loss in the, uh, for many reasons. And one of the reasons was, you know, when I look back, me and my dad were just rebuilding our relationship. And I sort of talked about in the beginning how we had, you know, he had poor emotion regulation. He liked to drink alcohol. So we didn't bond as, I guess, lovingly as we could have as I grew up. And so I really stayed away from for most of my uh, youth and, and teenage years. And so for me to have those moments of building a relationship for the last year and a half, were very monumental for me to sort of have that relationship I never had as a kid. And it was very special to me. And so when he died, I think that was really a part that was really coming out because I just started crying. And it was such a shock. I got the call you know, from my aunt and it just, it just broke me. And it was very scary to see the emotions come out because as a typical male, I didn't really cry. And so <laughs> for, for it to just keep coming out and like the, it, it it caused it like for me, it was painful to to cry, and then to have the thoughts that came with it that I wasn't going to have any kind of new memories with him, and then I tried to remember the memories and I couldn't, and so that caused me so much distress because I felt that you know like there's, I just felt like just this is a horrible moment in my in my time, and it lasted for I would say about three days. And so I did the I picked up the casket, did the eulogy at the funeral, which was his own. <laughs> moment in my time where I just kept crying on stage <laughs> and I, but I did finish the words I wanted to say but then I went to school and what was interesting was I had those moments of deep sorrow went to school and then everything went away but it went away not in like a good way it went away that I became almost I would say depressed or numb that I wasn't having experienced any sadness but I also wasn't experiencing any happiness or joy either so I was in this like gray area that I was walking around the world that's supposed to be colorful. That's the gray in between? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you nailed you it there. Summarized, you just summarized the title of my podcast. <laughs> do I get a prize? <laughs> you do, you do. Ding, ding, ding. As you so, can see, I shift, I, I shift gears easily into humor in these conversations because it is... Sometimes, you know, we do rehashing some of our emotions. Sometimes it's good to kind of just add a little bit of that. So if I break stuff like that, you know, up with, with that, I hope that that's okay with you, that I add my little, my do little it. humor part. Hey, it's your show, right? It's <laughs> do what you yes, want. But you're the guest. Be okay, free. So that, so that you were just like in this kind of what is it called limbo as they would say in that yeah. in that limbo part of like just that kind of going through the motions because you decided you kind of swept it under the rug because you went back to school kind of busyness in your life yeah. that there you're you weren't really as they say I don't want to say I'm I'm air quoting dealing with it or feeling really truly after that but neither emotion nor sadness nor joy just kind of just roaming through life yeah and I can't even say I like consciously did that it just happened like I went back mm -hmm. to school and it just almost happened and because if I knew I did it I would understand why I was feeling that way and bring it back yeah. up but it, it was like just really unconscious and how mm -hmm. fast it changed and it was like that for about three months and I didn't I didn't have any of the tools needed to 
I guess, understand that. And I didn't have the vulnerability to ask for help. I just sort of like was, I guess, this is life now kind of thing. And it wasn't until I had that dream of my father that everything changed. So three months of this, and then I just went to bed and I had this dream where it was, it was like that other dream of sort of seeing that guy and like giving that answer. And so it had that special kind of feeling to it. And I saw my father at the end of my bedroom. He was looking through some of my stuff and, and he looked healthy. Like he looked light is the best way to put it. Cause he was always very heavy in waking life with just his energy and like, I guess my emotions towards him in a way. And so he looked better than he ever has been before. And I walked up to him and he noticed me and I walked up to him and I said, I'm going to miss you. So I was acknowledging the loss and I said, I love you. And we hugged and then I woke up. And for me, when I woke up, I didn't know what the hell just happened. It was one of those moments where every, I woke up and the color was back in my world and I didn't, I couldn't understand it. Like what, how could that even happen? So the dream itself is remarkable to even just see my father since I wasn't even asking for a dream or even like consciously aware that that was a possibility. And yet here it is. And wow, did it ever change me? So I was able to feel happiness again and I could feel my sadness again. And looking back on it, I can definitely see through the imagery that, you know, the two things really pop up. The one was one of the blocks I had was I didn't get to say goodbye. And he it's because he died so suddenly that was impacting my grief. And the next thing was, I wouldn't have never guessed, but it was that I didn't share my love that I had for him verbally anyways. And the last time I told him I loved him was probably when I was like four or five. Mm. So even though we were spending this time together, I never actually verbalized it. And because he never verbalized it back to me. So I, it's almost like it's just you go with what the other person's doing in a way. And, and now I look back, I'm like, that was so important that I never realized how much verbalizing our love to others is part of our well-being and our health. And so I see this actually, like, as you look at dreams, you see, see the theme of love in many different forms. And that's one of them that comes up in a lot of dreams on how impactful that is for us as we process our grief. So for me, like, that was the moment that changed everything. And what's interesting is I didn't tell many people about that dream, if anyone. I can't remember telling anyone, to tell you the truth. And I just kept it close. And I went back to school, got my good grades. And then once I started volunteering with the bereaved, that's when they started asking questions about the dreams. And they had different questions. So they wanted to know, how could I have a dream? I don't have one. My, all my other family members are having them. You know, what's going on? Are they mad at me? Did they, oh, you know, like, all this yeah. sort of stuff, right? Like people like put yeah. up the craziest explanations on why they haven't had a dream. Or they'll say I'm having negative dreams. You know, why is that? Or is it a haunting? So there's a lot of people who have negative dreams that believe these dreams are visitations that will take these negative dreams as like a haunting, that something's wrong in a way, or that, you know, they're just being me, a mean person now. And, you know, other times, the other one's like, I didn't, and all, I started having questions of how common is this? Because a lot of people that I was working with and supporting had these, a lot of different questions. So when I went to the literature, there just wasn't anything there to give them, to provide them any kind of understanding. And that's, Really, at that time, like I never wanted to be a researcher, to tell you the truth. But at that moment, there was like almost a calling or just a, a time frame where I'm like, you know what? What happens if I could do this? Because at that point in my life, I finished school and I didn't really know what I was doing in my life. What, what, how, what had you just been studying then at that point? I, I was studying psychology, but I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And so the, the backstory is 
I actually applied to be an elementary school teacher. I got the interview to get in and I turned it down and I never, I just didn't feel right. I didn't know why, because I worked my whole life towards that. Looking back, I could probably say maybe because my dad died, I didn't have the pressure. He wanted me to do that. So I didn't need his approval anymore kind of thing. Cause he was dead. And so that could be it. Or there's also the other reason that there's just something else out there for me that I needed to do. And life was pulling me in that direction. And that's really what happened. So I had to get, I needed courage is the best way to put it to even think I could be a researcher because I wasn't trained or nor did I ever want to be that. And it's such a steep learning curve to do that. And, you know, I was able to be successful in it, but you know, there were some hard times for me wondering if I should even be here, you know, like doing this in my master's and PhD, because they're like, <laughs> it's a, it was a crazy process to try to learn it so fast. Um, when these people that are in these programs have for the most part, always knew, um, they wanted to do this. And so I, I didn't really care about research per se. I only cared about answering those questions. Yeah. So it gave me <laughs> motivation in some forms, but also if I wasn't using it in my thesis, I really didn't want to learn it, but you know, you needed to. So at the, at the end of the day, it was a really interesting process for me, but that's actually when I got into doing the research, I, that's when I learned how big this topic actually is and how much, how little we truly know because I was just going off a couple of questions. But when you start looking at the biases people have in the world, the training um, clinicians have, or anyone in thanatology has, you realize it's almost, it's absolute, like zero. And you and you start hearing the comments that they give to the bereaved. And it's just, or, you know, any kind of health professionals that they give to the bereaved when it comes to these dreams, it's very disheartening. And so it's like, not only am I researching these dreams, but I'm trying to change the culture and how we perceive them. And it's such a, bigger tasks than I uh, imagined, but, you know, like getting the PhD and doing and public, like publishing those, the research studies I've done has really gained momentum, which is really great. And I said, like doing these podcasts and disseminating the research is just a blessing for me, just because like, it's so hard to get the word out on something no one really knows much about. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that is so valuable. And it's so interesting because a lot of times we end up doing something, even just when I started this podcast was my own curiosity of just knowing mm-hmm. how people dealt with grief. Cause I knew how I had dealt with mine and, and I knew what had helped my grief journey and was wondering if that was the case for others. And one of the things that was uh very like that would strike me or like that was one of those questions that I would have. It's like, do people that have spiritual beliefs about afterlife or about, you know, somehow do they have an easier quote unquote time or way of kind of navigating their grief because they still feel this connection still continues even after death. That was really Mm -hmm. one of those like questions for me. So I, you know, I, so I don't know, it's kind of like as if I'm doing research only that on a podcast, and I'm sure that's the same for you on your podcast. So what are some of these things that you've like realized by having these conversations and doing your research that have answered some of these questions that you had? So it's like one of the the big ones was, you know, you have to go back to the beginning is are these dreams even common? Mm-hmm. Like, cause I had mine some people had theirs, but is it common? Cause no one's talking about it. So I would have thought going in, it, it was more rare than like, than any, like the common, just because if we haven't studied it, it's probably not something that comes up that often. 
boy, was I wrong. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous on how common it is. So just, I, so I did three different studies in my PhD that, that looked at this. And the first one was on spousal loss. And what I found was 86% of people um, that, that I surveyed had a dream of deceased at some point within the, in the first year or two after the loss. And for me, that's, that's absolutely crazy because 10% of the population doesn't remember dreaming at all. So you're looking at almost most people who dream in general will have one of these dreams at some point in their, their grief, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, like, it's just like how crazy that is. Like, and yet we're not talking about it. Then after also looked at pet loss and 78% within the first six months. And so that number would increase once you go to like a year or two years. So you'd think it'd be up to around like 80. And then also after pregnancy loss. So you see numbers as high as 58% within the first year. And that is phenomenal to me because they have never seen the child. But yet here the child is in their dream in many different forms. So the, the mother could be pregnant again with the child. But for the most part, it's the child is a baby or maybe a you know, one to two-year-old. Could be a three to four-year-old depending on, you know, maybe, maybe what they hope for, or even the, the language they want the child to, to show. Cause like, if you, if you're longing or if you want, or the baby needs to, or whatever going on in the, in that moment says, I love you, they gotta be a certain age, right? They can't be like a newborn. They have to be a certain age. And what I've seen is that when a, a child is around a teenage, they're giving a full sentence of explanation or to try to help the individual. So for those couple, it's more rare for it to be a teenager, but in those moments, the child is reassuring the the mother anyways, that the miscarriage wasn't their fault, right? And to, to help to release that guilt. And so for me, that's such a beautiful moment because that stuff helps us in many different ways. And you don't need to be spiritual to have those types of dreams either. And then for the, and I want to say too, for the, the like the, the, the pregnancy loss dreams, I looked at partners and uh, the mothers who were having the child and they were both dreaming of the deceased pretty equally. And so it's like, we forget. And like, even the partners, usually the, even the forgotten mourner uh, on on top of even like a miscarriage, they're also disenfranchised too, but even more so the partner. And they're also having these experiences and, you know, and, and that's, so it's really nice to understand that, this is going on with everyone. And then there was a study that looked at children after a parent law, a parent was, uh, was killed or, or died anyways. And 55% of the children that were surveyed had a dream. And that was really interesting to me too. So you start seeing that's like, this is so common in the conversation of grief. And with that, we need to start talking about it more. And so that is one of the major things a lot of people go to like, oh, uh, we didn't know. And, you know, for most people, they didn't know because a lot of people don't talk about it. And so it is kept hidden from the world for many different reasons. And just to name a few, you know, like, let's say like I've, I've had my, my own experiences with people. Let's say a pastor. I had this experience. Actually, it's the same pastor that my, my, my family went to that told them that uh, dreams are from the devil. Anyways, so uh, the person that was running the church said that dreams of the deceased are also from the devil good or bad it's still the devil and that never really made sense to me and i started like asking further questions because i've seen like over a thousand different dreams and there's different symbols in the dreams and so when i so then i asked you know like 
if that's the case, I go, if, what about Jesus? He died and he's deceased. Like, is that the devil too? And they would say, no, that's Jesus. I said, okay. What about when there's dreams with Jesus and the deceased? Is that the devil and Jesus together? And like their face goes white because they, they, they don't no know answer. what to say mm-hmm. because they don't understand the topic. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, they're going with what other people have told them. It's an easy answer rather than saying, I don't know. And I think it takes courage to say, I don't know, because mm-hmm. the research wasn't out there for them. So I understand on that part. But to give an answer that will complicate someone's grief, I think is a very poor way to go because you start you you start realizing that these dreams, for the most part, are majority positive which goes against a lot of the research prior. So when I went in, I thought you're going to, like I had a positive dream. Other people around me were having negative dreams. So I was like, oh, maybe I was just like lucky. I got a positive dream. But when I started looking at dream research, what I found was typically dreams are that we have in general are negative in nature just because they represent our waking life, our anxieties, our stress, what we listen to and read before bed. Like it all creeps in and our mind's trying to process that. And so we're going to have more negative dreams. After trauma, research has shown that these dreams are even more consistently negative. So after grief, you'd think we would be somewhere in between. And when the deceased is in there, probably somewhere in between. So you're probably going to have more negative dreams of the deceased. But the crazy thing is, when you actually start doing the research, it was a huge winner for positive dreams. So it went against what typical dream research would have thought going in. And that's where I think people get the idea that these dreams are different in whatever way they want to believe that to be true. But just for example, after the Spells of Law study, 92% um, had a positive dream of the deceased and 40% had a negative dream. And after pet loss, it was like 90% positive and 25% negative. And what was interesting is those people who had a negative dream tend to have positive dreams also. So but those who had like a positive dream didn't have like a, you know, they're more or less just having positive dreams moving forward. And so the theory goes that people are probably having negative dreams in the beginning as they work through some of their grief. And then it, once some of those blocks have been, you know, worked on, they're going to have positive dreams as they move forward. And so that's sort of the theory. We need to do more longitudinal research to understand that. But either way, we're having way more positive dreams. And when I ask about these dreams to people, even on the podcast or anywhere else, they typically report a positive dream. That's their most memorable dream. And most people will have more than one, but some people only have one. And so the frequency is very interesting also. Um, so like those are the very, you know, very important questions as we move forward. Then the big one, <laughs> so the, another big question I went in there asking, because a lot of people were complicating their, brief, their, their grief with it, mm-hmm. was why am I not having a dream? Mm-hmm. Right. And that said, so like, I've heard like stories where people think that they're mad at them, that they didn't cross over like those spiritual people, or they're just jealous that other people have. And you want to, and even people that run support groups said they don't want to talk about dreams in those support groups because not everyone's going to have jealous. one. Yeah. You make other people jealous and, and that's not what they want within the group. I have a support group. So I, okay. I understand, I understand those dynamics, How come? but some don't like to dream. There's some, there there's some people that don't, but go ahead, continue the, the, uh, the, the dream, the, okay, yeah. yeah. So I want to give people a scientific explanation on why they're not. So we can reduce some of those complications of putting on their grief and just work with the grief. And what I found was after multiple studies, so it's great that the information was replicated. 
that dream recall is the most important factor in general. So what it's saying is the more you remember your dreams, the more likely you're going to catch one of these dreams to remember. And so what it's also saying to me is that people are probably dreaming of the deceased more than they're actually remembering it. And so that goes back to the, you know, trying to understand why we remember certain dreams over others. But it also says that you could actually, but there are ways to increase your dream recall if you wanted to. And then that may help you, you know, capture one of these types of dreams. But I always put a caveat in there that, you know, like if you're going to remember more dreams, an issue is you're probably going to remember more negative dreams because you are working through your grief and your struggle. So you might have some nightmares. Deceased might not be a part of that, um, but you will still have to work through those dreams. And that, that takes some time to, to understand your dream language, but there are tools and a lot of jewels within those, those dreams that, you know, if you're, if you see someone like I, I run a, um, a grief dreams consulting business that I do sort of take in clients where I do help them like understand some of these dreams and how it reflects waking life, because it is a struggle to, to do that. And so, you know, for them, that's an ability and to remember more dreams. Research has shown that, you just have to value them. So you have to want them, want to have them. And then when you do have them, write them down. Because what you're trying to train yourself is that they're valuable now. Because our culture has, Western culture anyways, has devalued dreams so much so that we forget them and we don't think they're important. And so why would the mind want to remember them? And so that's just an easy technique to be able to remember more dreams. That is that is awesome. You know, I'm I'm there's a couple questions I have here in my in my head. Sorry, as I'm writing here, the train yourself to value your dreams really so that you have more um more dreams. The, the one of the things that comes up, one is how can aside from writing them down, does it make a difference to in people's habits before they go to bed to be able to really have a good night sleep and deep sleep enough? quality in order to increase the dream, re- dream recollection. I don't know if it, if that's such an issue, because, you know, like why I, why, why I say that is because when people wake up from like, say a bad sleep, they'll wake up multiple times during a night that actually can increase your chances of recalling a dream because you're dreaming throughout your sleep not just in REM, but also in non-REM. So non-REM is about 50% of the time. If someone wakes you up, you recall a dream. In REM, it's around 80% of the time. So in that way, like maybe not, <laughs> but but you can just see you can, if you're going to sleep for, a, for the whole period of time, the longer you sleep, so if you allow yourself to actually sleep without, let's say, an alarm and you're getting eight hours, you're going to probably re- remember more dreams because you're going to be waking up in a REM state and, and say like you have a higher chance. And a lot of those dreams too are more emotional in nature. So we don't know where these dreams come from in the sense of which state we haven't found that like it hasn't future research should look into that. But at the end of the day, like there is that ability because there's been research just in the pandemic because in the pandemic, what's interesting is people started to recall more dreams. And so when they look at their sleeping patterns, people are sleeping in more and sleeping in longer. And so that's one of the reasons for that. And so just by looking at, yeah. So that's why it was a tough question because it yeah, probably yeah, equals yeah. out because there's, there's positive, I guess there's increases in both ways. No, it's, it's so true. Cause it's happened to me. Cause I do wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, <laughs> restroom often. I'm a mom of two. That's my disclaimer. And what, what, uh, 
what I realized is you're absolutely right. Cause then I can recall then maybe those dreams that I've had up to that point, because then usually then when I wake up in the morning, it's usually the dreams that I've had just right before that wake up that I remember. Yeah. So, um, and, and I do dream. I mean, my, but my dreams are like, sometimes I, I'm telling you, like they, when I'm trying to like verbalize them, they don't make sense, but they did make sense <laughs> in my, in my dream. Um, now, I, in terms of the normalizing the conversation of grief dreams, it, it would definitely be tied to normalizing the conversation about grief and normalizing the conversation about death, correct? Correct. <laughs> so it's like until we start talking and making it be more like, yes, I'm grieving and knowing that it's okay to grieve and acknowledging that grief is a process and grief is a journey that until we start having that, then people are going to be more open about sharing if they've, you know, dreamt with their loved one 10 years, 20 years down the line. Because if if they were to like, you know, live in a culture, which a lot of us do, and which again, we don't talk about our grief as often. If you say that you've dreamt with somebody that died so many years ago, people in your community might think that you have not like really dealt with your grief or that something's wrong. Would you, would you agree to that? Yeah, I think that's the big thing. That's why even on my, our show, we talk about the individual's grief because you, you have to know about their grief to understand the dream and why it's significant to them too. So yeah, the more people open up about just allowing people a space to talk about their grief and normalize that, just that, that they are grieving, then yeah, when you ask about these dreams, they're not, they feel that it's a space that they can share it too, because it's very revealing in many ways. And they're also very sacred to a lot of people. Like mine was very sacred in that way because it changed me so much. And I didn't want anyone, like looking back, like I didn't want anyone to tell me any different than what it was or what I felt. And something like, I didn't even really even put an explanation on it. I just didn't want anyone to, to change the way it made me feel. And you see that with a lot of people. So as I said, like with that pastor who said that these dreams are from the devil, if someone goes up to them and they say it's a very positive dream, like the one I had, and he says, Oh, that's actually the devil. It's not your, it's not your father or that you shouldn't be gaining any kind of positiveness from that. And I said, I, that would have taken ever, like a lot out of that feeling of just feeling new again. And, but yet, like, I don't want to sort of, you know, put a, a mark on the Christian faith just because there's other pastors who do view it as a visitation or has viewed it as they don't know, but they accept the benefits of these dreams to the grief journey. And you see that with multiple religions and multiple cultures. I think that's the issue is that I don't I haven't really seen one cultural religion that has gotten everything that like everyone has it like organized to what it what it is. And I think because there's it hasn't been the research. So there's just a vast array of experiences people can can have. And it's very hard because those people who do believe these dreams of visitation well, now you have to use discernment. When are they and when are they not? And that changes based on your understanding of grief and understanding of maybe what these dreams are really doing. But I, I come to the, the point of when it comes to this, that it doesn't really matter. Like to me, what you believe in the sense, it's interesting to me on how the, the dream theme formed. But I think, you know, like how you interpret the dream is, is one thing, but the dream itself is doing something. But as long as it's comforting to you, So as long as it's comforting to you, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning, I'm, I'm willing to be there for you. But if it's distressing, that's when we have to have a conversation and you bring in research, you bring in other stuff to, to the conversation to help the individual 
normalize those experiences. And people can have very distressing feelings based on a positive dream too. And I think it's very important to know that based on their interpretation of that and also based on you know what they see those dreams as too. So like someone in a, that believes in reincarnation, if they have a dream of the deceased, they may believe that it's a sign that the deceased isn't reincarnated. And that can be a negative thing for multiple reasons, because there are these thoughts that an unreincarnated soul can hinder you in your process on in life, like it can make you sick and stuff like that. And you see that in other even Aboriginal cultures too. And so what's interesting is that, you know, let's talk about that. Like, what does the research sort of say? And so those are the the main things about let's it's first thing about grief, which I think the culture is getting a lot better at. But now it's now it's the next part is let's talk about the dreams and also people's sleep, because sleep becomes you have to like understand and understand the importance of sleep in general in the grieving process too. And a lot of groups I've been a part of avoid not only the topic of grief dreams, but also the topic of sleep. And if you're not getting the right sleep, you're not going to be able to do the grief work you need to do. So with dreams then and sleep, then is there like a link Do people that study sleep, do they also study dreams? Like do research, do you know of that or not? Not really. It's usually they have the, it's their own section, right? So sleep researchers usually just study sleep because that's also, I say not undervalued, but it's very hard to, to study. There's not many sleep labs in the world to study it. And it's very expensive. So there's so much that we still don't know about sleep that they're trying to figure out. And then there's dream researchers who, you know, there are some that may have someone in a sleep lab, but for the most part, a lot of them, it's based on self-report and trying to figure out dreams on that aspect. So there, there's some that may do both, but for the most part, they are separate fields of study. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. So it's like, but you, you, and what you said regarding then the sleep of the person that's grieving, uh, that is valuable to what you're saying, because if we don't have enough quality sleep, then in general in life, regardless of whether we're grieving or not, it affects our everyday, it affects our mood, it affects our energy, it increases depression sometimes as well, correct? Like sometimes, yeah, yeah, if we don't sleep, so anxiety, all these other aspects. So addressing sleep, quality of sleep is important when you're talking to somebody that's grieving and seeing how they can uh, better their sleep because it can also ease their other they're waking hours too. <laughs> yeah, like like you're already grieving, then you have the sleep deprivation on top of it, so you're more irritable. You 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 have issues with memory, problem solving abilities down. Also, your immune system shot too, and so you'll get sick more often. And so there's just so many blocks for you to actually process something so heavy that you know if you're not getting the sleep, it's going to be very hard for you to process your grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so that's so true. Now, have you dreamt with your dad since that dream that you had? I, I did. So in the beginning, what was interesting is I had dreams of him about every three months or so for probably two years, two or three years. And then they slowed down. It was like once a year. And then I think it's been about two years, two or three years now since I had one of those dreams where it was like me and him and it was just like us. And like, those are the dreams that a lot of people will say are like foster that continuing relationship or that continuing bond. Like there's dreams where he's like in the background and just a part just a character, but I don't really, those aren't as, those, those don't facilitate that kind of connection. It's like nice. Oh, cool. Like he was in the imagery, but it's not like, oh, I had like a one-on-one, you know, chat with the, with them about my life or, or anything. So 
like those are the ones that I value the most is, is that. And so it was interesting. So the next dream I had after that dream, so that dream helped process a lot of my grief, tell you like, um, and so the next dream I had, I said like about three months later, it wasn't about my grief anymore. It was actually about my grandma's. And so him and his mother, right. Uh, my grandma had a very special connection and talking about, you know, a mother's grief when they lose an adult child, mm. she was devastated. And I like went over there a bunch to try to like just talk to her about it and stuff. And then anyway, so the dream I had was me and my father were driving in his van that he had. It was like a safari van. Uh, and we pulled up to her house and we both got out and we were staring at the house. And he said, you know, she's doing pretty okay without me. I said, yeah, dad, she is. And, you know, that was the end of the dream. But, you know, it was such an interesting dream because it reflected on her grief. And even though that she was struggling with it she was also processing it too so she was doing okay and he said my aunt on the other hand you know wasn't as as well so like it's it's just interesting to sort of see how it just changed focus and then as I was in university in my PhD I remember um, I had a dream where it wasn't about anyone's grief and so this is probably maybe you know eight years after that his death and he just we were just I was in my room and I was working on something so in the dream I was working on something with school and he walked by and he said, is there anything I can uh, do for you? And I said, no, dad, I'm pretty okay right now. But uh, in a year, I may need a new uh, laptop, <laughs> 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 which is just kind of cool. And then he smiled and I woke up. And so it was just like those moments where you're like, yeah, like that, like something I do miss is like just having that. And even to have that concern, like as a father, which is interesting because like as a kid, I didn't really sort of see that. He never asked mm. that, those types of questions. But there he did. And I think that's kind of remarkable. And I feel that, you know, so like, it's interesting how these dreams has changed my relationship with him, which I think is really fascinating. I see this a lot of times, too. I've even seen, I had a guest on the podcast, Judy Hinderer. And what was interesting is she never even met her dad. And so she never developed a bond. But when she was getting older, she started having these dreams of him, of him being a father and giving her fatherly advice. And with those dreams, she said she actually developed a relationship and a love for him that she never had prior. And I think that is fascinating that that can happen and these dreams can be a part of the way that we can do that because it helps us continue that, that bond. It helps us grieve in a new way and it helps us make meaning from our lives in a different way too. So, you know, anyway, there's a lot of a lot of grief work that goes along with these dreams, which is just why I love them so much. And like people who are spiritual or not are still having these dreams. The content may be a little different in the sense of if it's a positive dream, one may be in, let's say an angel may be with them um, and they're telling about heaven. Another one, they're not. But the core of the message is that there's love that they and that they are there with you. That's the core. And so for me, it's just a beautiful reminder of that love, even though we're grieving, is still a big part of who we are. And that we can get to a point at some point that we can feel it. And these dreams, I think, allow us to realize that that possibility is still there. And it gives us hope for where we can be in the future. Because in these dreams, they're acknowledging for the most part that the person's dead. And yet they can still have this love. And I think that is the challenge in the grieving process is to love them despite the fact that they've died. And like, well, to not have the sadness when you think about their death, but you can still sort of um, acknowledge the death and feel that deep sense of love. And I think that's sort of the challenge that we work with as we move forward. Oh, that's so awesome. That's so, 
So true. Because one of the things that we miss a lot of times, I, I could tell you just briefly, one of the dreams I had with my sister, my sister died when she was 18. I was 21. She died in a car accident. And I don't recall if it was about a year or two later, I had a dream and I maybe no, actually, no, I had a dream maybe shortly after she died, but I interpreted it in a way that made sense to me in that moment. But in the dream, the main thing was I wanted to hug her, but I couldn't. But I was introducing her to somebody and I said, you know, so I, I won't go into the details, but I was like, just like introducing her to somebody. And then she would say hi to this person, da, da, da. And, um, and then I, and then I said, oh, how I wish I could hug you like in the dream. But it was, so it was an awareness that I couldn't, mm -hmm. it was an awareness that I couldn't. And, but yet, you know, here I was introducing her to this person. So I woke up and I, I totally, you know, made my own interpretation. The, um, the girl's name that I was introducing her to, her name was Hoda, Hoda, which is a Persian name, uh, or Arabic, but how it's pronounced, depending on how you pronounce it can also mean God. And I used to, because I'm not Persian, how I would pronounce it would be like, like I would pronounce it. I forget even which one is the right. I think more like like that. And that with that more guttural kind of sound is God. And like you change the accent. So then when I woke up, I'm like, oh, okay. She's in her path to, to meet with God. And she was looking actually at place at pictures in the dream of whole of the Holy land. And like, a, I'm a Baha'i is a, the, the faith that I'm a member of. And it was of the gardens in Haifa. She was looking at pictures of that in the, mm -hmm. in her, like in an album. So, uh, so I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, she's on her path. Da, da, da. Well, it was, it, I was good with that interpretation about maybe a year later. Turns out I go see this group. And are you okay with me sharing this yeah, dream yeah. on the thing? But it's just because of those things that interpretations happen sometimes. After. I see this, um, I went to go to see this performance of some friends. They were going to be traveling. She was in it. My sister used to be in a dance group when she passed away. And so they were going to be traveling to Bulgaria uh, to perform these dances. And so I went and saw the performance. And as I was seeing the performance of this girl, Hoda, the girl that had been in my dream, with this boy named Jesse, who had been in the dance group with my sister, they were dancing this thing. And my sister used to do that piece that she was dancing and I had seen it in video only. I had not been able to see my sister live just because of where she lived. So I was watching that performance. And in that performance, I was seeing my sister, like that girl right there dancing was my sister. And I'm like there and I'm like crying. So when they come, when they come out and, 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 and I'm talking to them, this girl said, I said, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And I was talking to her and to Jesse. And she said, um, Kendra, I, I learned it watching videos of your sister. Mm. And listen, I'm still getting, I still get chills till this day. This has been, I'm 45. Okay. So this is in my, this is over 20 years. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then I hugged her mm. and brrr, like a movie shh, replayed. And in that moment, I was hugging my sister. Wow. It was like, oh, and the other thing is they were actually on their way to Bulgaria. They're going to stop. They were going to stop in Haifa 
and she said, we're actually doing, they, they were, they were doing this trip in honor of my sister. She had only met my sister once, like years before, because my sister had lived in that same city. So they were doing this honor and they were going to say prayers for her in the shrines in Haifa, Israel. Like it was like to the T of that dream that I had had. And I had, I thought I had already like interpreted what meant for me. So I was like, great. <laughs> I'm like, they're like crying. Of course she has no clue why I'm crying, but I'm like, I just hugged my sister. Like I was just like, you know, crying, bawling. So I'm curious, has that happened to you or to any of the people you've talked to that they've made an interpretation of something that then they realize later after my whole long, and thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share that by the way. And I've never shared that on podcasts. So here I am. Um, what have you noticed that that people may interpret different later on in life? Like, uh, of course, and I think yeah. people will, will they knew with any dream, and and these can be the same way where they'll notice certain aspects or they'll make links to new things that they didn't even know before. I had a um, individual that came on the podcast recently, um, Sabrina, I believe her name was. Anyway, so her dream when she had the dream, she I'll just share it. So. She met this motherly individual. Um, she felt there was a connection there. She went into the person's house and she saw like this map on where her father was. And then all of a sudden she turned around and her father's right there, like in the kitchen and they embrace. Her father had passed away. Her father had died. Yes. Uh -huh. And so um, she woke up just feeling grateful to have the moment of embrace and to feel that love that, you know, she finally found him kind of thing. Anyways, only the time go by where she was telling other people and someone suggested maybe it's like that woman's a family member that has died prior. And so she, people started like sending her pictures of different grandmothers and stuff and none of them looked like that person. And then someone sent a picture of, I think, I think it was her great grandmother that was young and it looked and it was exactly the same person so for her it changed the dream in a different way because now the person who was guiding her into the house was actually a relative that had died prior and so for her it also with the mystery of she's never seen that photo but yet here i had a dream of that individual so there's a lot of different ways people can like take these dreams and also but that's the benefit of it that's why if someone had a negative dream and they took it as a haunting well then if someone later on looks at it and says, actually, it's, it may reflect aspects of your guilt or your grief. Well, then they change that. And so there can be benefits to that and re going over dreams that you once had to try to make some understanding of it. Like I had a, I have a bunch of stories, but I had uh, once I was at I know, this... you got to listen to your, <laughs> we have to listen to your podcast too. You do, to yes, yes. Well, I remember I was at a conference and this like six-year-old individual came up to me and she said, when I was a kid, my sister died. So she said, I was like around eight or nine. And she said, I always had this dream of my sister being dragged through the house, the hallway, um, by Barney Rubble, who was a part of a, the Flintstones, which was a oh, yeah, children's yeah, yeah, yeah. cartoon show. Yes. And I've never seen that or heard about that dream before, but she's like, can you provide me any understanding? And I just sort of thought about it. And for it to be repeated was very important for anything. So if something's repeated, it means that you're not getting it, right? There's something that it's really trying to get you to, sh to showcase. And so I'm like, that's interesting. I said, so the character is stealing the child away. And I said, did you ever go to the funeral of your sister? She said, no. I said, 
I go, did anyone ever talk to you about where she went or that she died? And she said, no, she was there one minute and gone the next. I said, well, then that, this dream makes sense to me because what the mind's trying to do is the mind's not good with the unknown. And so it tries to put an explanation on it. Hence why people want to sort of share what they think these grief dreams are because there's just a lot of unknown. Um, but anyways, so because there's unknown, what the mind was trying to do was give her an explanation to help calm her nerves to why her sister wasn't there anymore. And so what the mind decided to do was make Barney Rubble kidnap her, basically, to make an understanding of why she's not there anymore. But this highlights the importance of not only talking about the grief with children, um, but also the importance of asking dreams, the dreams that the children are having, because you can get these flags or these moments where you can reflect on what do they know, what are they still trying to process? And so we need to talk, we, research has shown that we need to talk to our children about grief and we need to give them an opportunity to go to the funeral home and it's to understand what death is and, and why this, why the person isn't there anymore. So it's just another sort of, you know, thing to be able to show your audience on the importance of these dreams and how they can play. And this person 60 years didn't know. And so she, she had to find her way through that. But if someone was asking right away, her grief journey would have been so much easier. Mm. 60 years. So she was 60 when she asked you this. Well, she looked 60, so she, she could have been okay, more. So she, was older, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she had had this as a child. And, and it's interesting because then the character, of course, of Barney Rubble, that's probably even maybe that is how she interpreted it back then. Those are the TV shows she might have watched when she was a yeah. kid with her sister and so forth. Um That is just, yeah, we, we do need to. I'm so just grateful that most more of us are having these conversations, creating these platforms, podcasts, websites, blogs, people getting PhDs on grief dreams, you know, like yourself and things like that in order to, again, normalize these conversations and for people to not feel so isolated in their grief journey and be able to share with somebody without them thinking they're crazy. That's, that's uh, right. Yeah, it's very that, true. And that's yeah. actually what people have said that they don't want to share because they don't want people to say they're not over their grief or that they're crazy or that they still need help because, you know, that, that may not be the case. And like, so like I've seen just in the research, these dreams change as we process our grief. And so even if you're dreaming of the deceased, doesn't mean that your grief has resurfaced per se. It could actually be, there to try to help you process what you're currently dealing with because a lot of these dreams are very loving and that loving presence helps us re um re help us regulate our emotions a bit more help us take a breath of fresh air to then look at the problem a little differently when we wake up because we're not in deep stress and so just to say that so like after grief a lot of the stuff focuses on our grief journey but then as you move forward let's say like after a divorce or something maybe that you know you'll have a dream to help reassure you in some way um, but even in the pandemic, it's a perfect example. I'm seeing a lot of dreams that are based around the feelings of the pandemic. So if someone's feeling very lonely, what happened, what I can, what I've seen anyways, is that people are dreaming of the deceased more often and they're just hanging out and they're being together because that is something that they're longing for in waking life that they're not getting, but they're also probably stressed. And if you look at, you know, what's probably the best character to be in your dream, um, spirits or not, is probably someone that you love that has probably died because that's there's a bond there that you you seek. And then, you know, like even I've seen the deceased ask about the pandemic or you give reassurance about it or even problem solve their own feelings with it. And so there's a lot there. And then when you look at two, just in the pandemic, a lot of people are dying and are grieving. They're going to have a lot of these grief dreams that are going to help them with 
the current issues they're dealing with, and some of them are they can't get to the deceased because of border issues and all the vastness of issues when it comes to when people are dying in hospitals, you only allowed two people in, all this sort of stuff, right? And so there's a lot of complications now with the grief journey, and these dreams can help that in multiple ways. And I've seen that, um, actually, that has come through. So I just want to sort of mention that. And then at the end of life, what's beautiful is these dreams then change again to help the individual let go of their body and to let go of that struggle and to reassure them that, you know, it's okay if they're spiritual, that, you know, there's, they're going to be there when they die. So you just sort of see how these dreams pop up. So after grief is sort of really worked through in a way, they pop up in other significant moments in people's life where there's great struggle or strife. So it's just, that's the beauty of these dreams. And that's where I can't fully understand it because why, why doesn't it happen all the time? Like, it's just like these moments though that it can really reassure people and give them the motivation to continue. Like I've seen dreams where, uh, I know I'm going on a little tangent, but I've seen dreams where people are wanting to kill themselves because of the suffering that they're facing. And these dreams help them to not kill themselves anymore, to redirect them, to give them love. But also people who are in a deep addiction can have these dreams and then they quit soon after because they had there's something changed in them. Like what happened with me, something changed. And there's still a lot of mystery to that and a lot of research still needs to be done I think that there is a piece in that to solve, I think, a lot of our understanding of what a human is and what a human needs to live in this mm-hmm. life. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, it's like we're not just flesh and bones, right? Like <laughs> there's all these interesting, you know, even just within <laughs> the brain component and yeah. this. If we're just scientific, if we want to just look at it in the scientific part, then all these little things of neurons this or whatever happens right in the brain yeah. during a dream that maybe shift then what the person then well, something feels when they it. wake up if we want to go ahead with the spiritual component then we know that we're because we're also emotions right so we're not mm-hmm. we are emotions we are thought we're you know spirit again i always in- include the spirit component because that's how i see it but we are just so much more than just what we see. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, the big focus of this, of just raising awareness, is that it's for everyone. It's not just for yes. those spiritual people, because it's those spiritual people that tend to put on visitations and tend to bring that up, which actually hinders a lot of other people from looking at the topic, I think, anyways, because there is that bias there. And, you know, this just allows it to be more neutral, that whatever you believe, you can still take pieces of this to encourage your whatever your belief is. I'm not trying to change anyone's belief. Except if it's, you think it's a negative visitation, let's work on that. But for the most part, just give understanding on the topic and the vastness of it, how it reaches everyone. And it doesn't really matter what your spiritual preference is. It's still occurring. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. Now, tell us a little bit then. You said you do do one-on-ones as well. You do consults. Tell us then about that. And I'll make sure, of course, to put your website in the show notes, but you can go ahead and say it as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, so if you go to griefdreams.ca is my website, you can have like all the information's on there from all the social media stuff, but I do do the one-on-one Grief Dreams consulting. So if you have issues, I'm more than happy to spend some time with you to go over that and to help you understand your dream language. Then also, I, if you're really interested in this topic, I have a nine and a half hour online course that you can take to really learn and be able to provide that space for to ask that question to other people. And I think one of the major issues I found was that there wasn't the information out there and people who wanted to didn't feel confident enough to be able to do that. And so I made an online course now, so that's available too. And so if you just want to know more about, just hear more about these dreams, the Grief Dreams podcast, the way to go, or my Instagram, 
I'm also on Clubhouse now too. So we're going to be interviewing people on Clubhouse and talking about this subject too. So if you're on there, you can find us at Grief Dreams and we run the Grief Dreams Club and the Grief Cafe Club. Oh, Grief Cafe. I like that. Um, I need to hop back on on Clubhouse. I, I was on there for a little bit when it started. I'm like, wait, I need to get back on and, and start interacting with some of these. So I need to check out when you have your your uh, your clubhouse. Uh, what is it called again? When you have the live things, the I don't even remember. I don't even know the terminology because I a club. <laughs> I don't know a meeting. Or a a meeting. Yeah, meeting. I, don't, I forget. I forgot because I don't go on. Thank you so much, Doctor Black, for being on here, sharing all your knowledge, listening to my dream as well, my elephant dream and my sister's dream. I'm just so <laughs> grateful for you to take the time to be here, share your experience in this topic and now for people to get to know you a little bit more as well so thank you well thank you for having me on thank you again so much for choosing to listen today i hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.